Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, good to have you tuning in tonight. Edmonton Oilers defenseman Caleb Jones riding this out in Dallas. You'll hear from him tonight. We'll also check in with the always entertaining Jack Michaels, the play-by-play voice of the Oilers on 630 Chet and the Oilers radio network. Jack, a big tennis fan who has uh, been to Wimbledon several times, so we'll talk about those experiences as, of course, uh, the news came out yesterday that there will not be a Wimbledon this summer. But we're going to kick it off with the head coach of your Edmonton Eskimos, Scott Milanovic. Scott, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. It's uh, obviously a very strange time in the world. So I'll start just by uh, asking uh, how you and your family are doing. Where are you riding this out? Yeah, we're in, uh, I'm in Pontevedra Beach, um, which is where our house is, and my girls are still going to school, or they were going to school. And uh, we're all doing well. My, my family, my immediate family is doing well. Um, I guess the only person really that I knew that has gotten caught up in this is Tony Baselli. And um, other than that, my immediate family is doing well. We're getting a little bit, uh, the house is closing in on us a little bit, but uh, it could be a lot worse. All right. Well, well, thanks for that. Eskimos fans are are happy to hear from you tonight. Obviously, a lot of news with the with the CFL this week. Training camps are postponed we don't know exactly when they're going to start I, I mean this is probably the time of year where you're really ramping up and already thinking about preparation and all those kinds of things has this sort of uh, thrown a wrench in your routine or how have you handled this uh not really yet so we were just uh, when the announcement was made we were pretty much finishing up playbook um we're scripted for training camp on on all three sides of the ball so that kind of stuff um, was pretty darn near finished anyway. So we're ready to send the playbook out to be printed now. Uh, now we're into, or I'm into at least particularly getting into the draft guys. Um, so I've been spending my time the last uh, last week or so uh, really studying the draft guys. Now what happens with training camp, if it ends up being shortened, then, uh, then that'll change things a little bit and we'll have to kind of reconfigure how, you know, how we want to, how we want to situate that and prioritize you know, the most important things that, that are to get in. Okay. Well, there's one thing I've learned from covering football over the years, Scott, and I've talked to high school coaches, college, you know, and obviously pro football coaches, and training camp, I've always felt things tend to be scheduled pretty much down to the minute. Am I, am I exaggerating here? Am I, am I making coaches sound a little too detailed, or is that pretty much how you run it? No, it's pretty, it's pretty detailed, so... I'm I'm basically seeing nine days of true practice, um, not counting like day before preseason games, nine days of hard practices before we end camp. And we've got seven of those practice schedules out, the scripts, the plays are on the, on the sheets. So, um, you know, we could go out and do it tomorrow if we had to. But um, 
I kind of leave those last two days open for things that we see during training camp. Hey, let's add this or let's try that. Or uh, we kind of leave that open for the last couple of days to just tighten things up. But yeah, so that's where, that's where if training camp does get reduced, um, we're going to have to, we might want to make a few adjustments, but um, it shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be too tough. All right. You mentioned copies of the playbook going out. No, don't worry. I'm not going to ask for a copy and I probably wouldn't understand it anyway, but in your experience, how does how much different is the playbook from what you go into training camp with to the one that might be you know in the last couple of weeks of October when you're playing the last few regular season games in the CFL? <laughs> it's funny because ideally, as coaches, at least my philosophy is let's try to get everything in in training camp that we're going to use during the season, and it's tough with the CFL preseason because it's not that long. So. Uh, I say that, you know, you'd like to get a rep on on every concept, maybe not the exact formation, but if we're going to run flat curl, you know, the quarterback needs to see that, the receivers need to see it. Now, we may run it out of different formations that we don't practice in training camp, but you want all those things in so that you can take a look at them so that if you do reach to them in week 18 or in the Grey Cup because it looks good, it's not new to them. Um, that, you know, that, that doesn't – it doesn't come to – to fruition very often there's there's things that you're going to add during the season but we try to keep it um we try to keep it limited as much as we can to the base stuff that we think we're going to be good at that we're going to hang our hat on every week and then we'll make adjustments off of that okay Uh, how in touch have you been with with some of your players i mean not just getting ready for the season but obviously just going through this uh, strange time have you have you been going back and forth with any of the guys yeah, I'm a little behind in that, to be honest with you, because because I was behind when the season uh, ended in the NFL. But I try to give guys a call uh, on Fridays. I talked to 15 or 20 guys last Friday. I'll call a bunch of guys more uh, tomorrow. I've been obviously in, in close contact with Trevor. Uh, but um, just as far as reaching out to all the guys, I try to grab guys on Fridays if I can. And um, You know, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not. You'd think everybody's sitting home at this point waiting for somebody to call them. But uh, <laughs> So many people now screen their screen their calls, but uh, a lot of times we play phone tag for a little while. Scott Milanovic, head coach of the Edmonton Eskimos, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. I'm sure you've heard the news uh, from earlier this week. Training camp will not begin on May 17th. We don't know when it will. One thing that I've been asking a few of the CFL guys I've talked to, Scott, is about the potential length of the season being shorter, maybe much shorter. Commissioner Randy Ambrosi said, you know, we know when the Grey Cup is in Regina. We're hoping to have it. We want to have a length of season that is credible. Have you given any thought to that? You know, a certain number of regular season games, maybe a minimum number that you would still feel comfortable with and that would be appropriate to, you know, to seed and eliminate teams for the postseason? Not, not a whole lot, honestly, because it's out of my hand. Uh, I would think that... I would think that you would want to get eight in, or at least you could play each team once. Uh, but I honestly haven't thought about it a whole bunch. I mean, ideally, we like our 18-game season, but um, we want to play. Obviously, we want to do what's right for the community and, and the countries that are involved and all the people. But, um, you know, the selfish part of us is hoping things can get, can get, um, I guess, cleaned up is not the word, but so people can get healthy and, and the threat be be gone enough to that it's safe for us to to do our, our jobs and, and you know do what we're paid to do so we're hoping for that but um we understand that that taking care of the community and everything else is going to come first
Yeah, well said. Scott, look, everybody who follows the CFL has, has gotten to know you as a, as a coach over the years. I'm, I'm hoping I can get to know Scott Milanovic, the, the player, uh, a, a little bit. Uh, let people know where you grew up, and was football always your thing? I mean, was that always your sport when you were a, a little guy running around? Tell us about that. Yeah, I grew up in, in western Pennsylvania in Butler, Butler High School, which is about 30 miles north of Pittsburgh. Um my dad was was a high school coach. He was the offensive coordinator for the, the high school. We had a big high school. And, um, yeah, it was a big deal. High school football in Western Pennsylvania is big. It was a lot bigger back then, I think, than it is now. You know, Texas, I think, has kind of taken over that whole that whole reign. But it was, you know, there were 7,000 people that would go to the games on, on Friday nights, and, and it was a big deal. So I grew up, even with the Steelers and Pitt, and Dan Marino was at Pitt when I was there. I grew up wanting to play football at high school on Friday nights. That was, to me, the dream, and um, it was fun. Yeah, it was a great way to grow up, great place to be. Uh, my dad being involved, that was uh, that was a lot of fun for me. Were, were you always a quarterback, or were you one of these kids that played a few different positions before you you found a home? Yeah, I was I was kind of a late bloomer. I went out for for like the Pop Warner team, I think I was nine or 10 and I was always a big kid. They made me a tackle and, and I wasn't happy with that. And my dad actually didn't even want me to play Pop Warner. He was more of a believer and, you know, get a little older, get a little bit more mature. And uh, I think probably also felt like you're going to get better coaching. So uh, after that first year as a, as a nine-year-old, I didn't go back out until the eighth grade. I went out for the junior high team. And, and at that point I was a quarterback. I played a little bit of safety in high school. And um, and I kicked and I punted, but um, I always played quarterback on offense. Okay. Well, you were a bit of a triple threat then, though. That's not bad. <laughs> I was I was a decent kicker actually. I kicked at, I kicked at Maryland or not kicked. I punted at Maryland also. Our our punter was declared academically ineligible like I don't know, five days before our, our first game, my junior season, and nobody else could do it. So I became the punter for the last two. Were you uh, were you heavily recruited? You know, did you get kind of have your choice and then go to Maryland, or how did that work coming out of high school? No, I didn't. I was kind of a I was kind of a middle of the road guy. I was recruited. I wanted to go to Miami. That was when you know they were kind of in their heyday with uh, Jimmy Johnson. I think Jimmy was the coach then. But they you know they had all the quarterbacks, Testaverde and and all those uh, Jim Kelly, all those guys had just all gone to the NFL. That was the biggest school that recruited me. But they ended up signing somebody else. Um, and I was recruited by some random schools. I was recruited by UCLA, but uh, Tommy Maddox was there, and he was young, so I didn't want to go there. And I was recruited by Pitt. Um, they were pretty good. Van Pelt was there. And, and really the reason I went to Maryland was because the guy that was the head coach there, nobody probably won't recognize his name. His name was Joe Krebeck. He, um, he had, they, had, they had put six straight quarterbacks in the NFL, and uh, – I knew they were going to have a pro-style passing offense. It wasn't too far. I liked the campus. So um, I guess I was kind of a middle-of-the-road recruit. I had some pretty good schools in there, but I wasn't recruited by everybody. In, in terms of your pro career, I mean, I think you were with the Bucks for three years. Uh, you're with the Browns. Uh, you're with the Stamps. I think you went over to Europe. What was, I mean, what was it like? I mean, you were, you were a pro football player. You were a quarterback, but you weren't seeing the, the, the field a lot. How did you sort of deal with that because everybody wants to play right and most athletes are confident enough to think well if i get a shot i'm gonna i'm gonna be the guy 
Yeah, it, it, that kind of came and went for me. I remember my first mini camp there in the off season, the first day, and I know a lot of guys go through this. I was like, so Trent Dilfer was the starter, and Trent is big and strong, and you know, uh, and I was just like, I remember being there and thinking, man, I'm I don't know, what am I doing here? You know, there was guys. This is back when guys still smoked, like outside. You know, they'd come in with a coffee and a cigarette in the morning. It was, you know, they were they were men, and I still felt like a college kid. Um, it took me a couple of days of the mini camp, and then I was like, okay, I think I belong here. And then I, I had a pretty darn good preseason that first year and um, made the team as the third quarterback, which they don't even do now. I usually only keep two. And then the second game of our season, we were at Detroit, and both the starter and the backup got hurt. And so I'm in the game, my second game. And um, I remember thinking, I'm going to play all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the last time I ever saw the field in a regular season game in the next four years. <laughs> oh, that's a good. That's a good story. Okay, I got one more for you, and this is the one, Scott. I've really been looking forward to asking. What would Scott Milanovic, the coach, think of Scott Milanovic, the player? Would he put him on the team? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can tell you because I've had conversations with my old coaches about this, and I've apologized to them. <laughs> I would have thought that he was – it depends where we're at, right? If we were in college, I was a pretty good college player. In the NFL, I was just a guy that was kind of hanging on. But if I was a college coach, I'd have thought to myself, this guy's a pretty good player. He needs to be a little bit more humble and a little bit more of a team guy. I had, I thought I knew everything when I was in college. And, uh, you know, I was one of those kids. I was probably difficult to coach because I grew up in the – in a football background and, and had a little knowledge, but I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know back then. So um, sometimes when I see some of those old coaches, some of like uh, Dan Durazio, who's coaching the CFL forever, I just always nudge up against him and tell him, Hey man, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. Scott, uh, thanks for checking in. I, I mean, Eskimos fans are excited about you being on board and uh, we, we await your coaching debut whenever that's going to wind up being. Thanks a lot for checking in on inside sports. No, my pleasure. We can't wait to get started. Hope everybody stays safe. Absolutely. That is Scott Milanovic on Inside Sports tonight, the head coach of the Eskimos. So a little bit there on the delay to training camp, his preparation, the playbook. And we look back on his playing career. He was a quarterback, played in the NCAA. Uh, and as he stated, Scott Milanovic, uh, the coach, might have not been a huge fan of Scott Milanovic, uh, the, the player. We don't know when he's going to coach his friend. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. First game with the green and gold. Hopefully it's not too far away. We're going to take a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. your mic is turned down 
The suspense is killing me, Kellen. This is like waiting for the lottery numbers. Uh, S. Fan Glennie sent in Sausalito Summer Nights by Diesel. Oh, there we go. There we go. 7804960063 is the number to both call and text. How are you doing today, buddy? Doing well. Doing great. Good. Busy day. Nice. Good, day. Good, good to see you. Jack Michaels is coming up. Caleb Jones uh, is going to be on the show. Uh, we've just we've just added a guest for 7.30, so I'll have to give you guys uh, that information as well. Ooh, 630ched.com, globalnews.ca for uh, all the latest on the uh, battle against COVID-19. Uh, 96 new cases in Alberta today. There have been a total of 968. There are 783 active cases just for my own context of how many cases we're currently dealing with i've been uh, subtracting the recoveries and unfortunately the uh, deceased patients as well so 783 active cases in the province there were 718 yesterday uh, we'll keep you updated in the news coming up at the uh, bottom of the hour and every half hour here on 6:30. chad ryan nugent hopkins from your edmonton oilers did a conference call today was asked about the idea of playing games in the summer i mean there's obviously been the speculation uh... Uh, I'm sure everybody else has heard it about uh, playing into late in the summer. And um, I mean, we still don't know if that would be we'd finish the regular season or at least uh, some of the regular season and then go straight into the playoffs or if it'll just be straight into the playoffs. I mean, at this point, it's, it's kind of hard to to wrap your head around it because it is just kind of we're taking it week by week almost day by day so um we, we want to get back to playing uh it's it's just a matter of figuring out what's uh what this is all going to look like in, in in the next couple couple months here so it's tough to say uh how late we would play but um we want to we get back to it it's just uh I mean, it's, it's definitely tough to speculate right now just uh based on it's the start of April and uh, um, that uh, seems like a long way away right now but just kind of take it day by day I guess a little bit there from the Nuge who is in Edmonton while we go through the uh, isolation period here Caleb Jones I mentioned uh, defenseman for the Oilers he's in Dallas he's going to join us at uh, 7 o'clock tonight Jack Michaels is next always fun to have on the show we'll we'll talk uh, probably a little bit of hockey with him but with the Wimbledon cancellation I want to get Jack's first hand Hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Perspective of what it's like to attend that tournament because he's done it a few times over the year. That's coming up after the news. Thanks for tuning in tonight. tuning in.
in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, tomorrow we will uh, catch up with Ottawa Senators, Senators Radio Color Analyst Gord Wilson, who uh, tested positive for COVID-19. We'll see how he's doing. Gord's had some uh, bad luck in 2020, had a, had a mild heart attack and had to miss a couple of games. We talked to him shortly after that. Uh, you know, he's going to be okay, but he'll let us know how, uh, how he felt and how he dealt with this. And I, I mentioned earlier in the week, and we did, we did this on Monday, we're going to have another guest on this theme tomorrow. We'll do it. We're not going to have a regular day or, or anything like that as we do this, but we'll, we'll do it every once in a while. We're going to have... Uh, we'll feature some of you. We'll feature, you know, fans of the Oilers and/or Eskimos. Earlier this week, we had Chad Gansky on the show, who is uh, grew up in Red Deer, moved to the West Coast uh, in his teens, but remained a fan of the Oilers and Eskimos. And he's also a science fiction author. So we we talked to him tomorrow. We're going to bring in an Oilers fan from New Zealand. That's right. And the, one of the cool things about doing this job is you, you hear from so many different people. If you listen to Overtime Open Line after Oilers games, you know occasionally Rob and I might get a caller from the United States. I think we've had a couple from the other side of one of the oceans. Um, but uh, this gentleman, his name's Greg, has, has dropped me an email a few times over the years. And uh, he's going to pop on the show tomorrow. So and, and I, when we're doing the interview here Friday night... We are going to have, uh, it'll be, I think, Saturday afternoon for Greg in New Zealand. So that'll be pretty cool to talk to him. 780-496-0063 is uh, how you can catch up with us here, calling or texting Inside Sports. This portion of the show presented by Furnace Family. Experience the Furnace Family difference. Your furnace replacement specialist with over 500 five-star Google reviews. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Calm. Yeah, it was good to have Scott Milanovic on the show. I, I, I mean, I think that's a really good hire for the Eskimos. Uh, spent the last few years in the National Football League, quarterbacks coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was a head coach in the CFL prior to that with the uh, Toronto Argos. Pretty well respected. Knows Trevor Harris from earlier in uh, in their careers. And, uh, you know, now we wait, though. Now, now we wait for the Canadian Football League like we are for a lot of sports. It was interesting talking to Grant Canton last night. From uh, who lives now near Stony Plain and is the former head groundskeeper at Wimbledon. And I, and I asked him why you have to delay the event and, or pardon me, why you have to cancel the event and not announce perhaps a postponement like, uh, like some other events have done. And he said, well, the U.S. Open has its dates in early September and the French Open has already move till later in September so you can't really have Wimbledon in October because you're losing daylight and there's just so much going on so it was really cool to get his perspective Grant an incredible story going from Stony Plain to uh, work at Wimbledon for 17 years and I want to further the Wimbledon experience here with my good buddy Jack Michaels the play-by-play of the Oilers here on 630 Chad and the Oilers radio network Jack how are you doing hi Reed just trying to keep busy as I'm sure you are Good, good. Well, it's nice to catch up with you. Uh, I mean, you're pretty much a regular on the show. You may even be more regular as we go through a bit of a sports hiatus because you're you're such a well-rounded and knowledgeable individual. Well, I appreciate that very little. <laughs> I, I actually started with a compliment today, not my usual I know. sarcasm. I started with it, too, and then I sidetracked into my usual biting sarcasm. <laughs> 
that's uh, that's awesome. I want to I want to ask you about about Wimbledon for how many how many times did you go again? I went three consecutive years and uh, had a phenomenal time. Got to meet your guest last night, Grant, along the way, uh, and it was you know it was spectacular and i was actually planning on going back uh this summer and of course that's not going to happen as so many things are are now off the table this summer we're hoping a few more things will be put on the table we haven't lost the national hockey league yet among some other major sporting events but certainly uh when you talk about you know wimbledon and you talk about the masters relocating into it looks like what was it late september or early october uh, you know, it's it's this is this is like being on on the uh, set of a bad reality movie. Only you can't get out of it, and that's uh, that's really what I feel like I'm stuck in every time I wake up. I mean, the positive is you know my family and I and most of the people I know uh, are healthy and, and safe. But this has uh, created a, a tremendous you know kind of wrench in the system for all of us and and I'm I'm glad to hear you're doing well and and in all seriousness uh you know I just hope that that the relatively small Alberta numbers uh you know continue to kind of be there and 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 be contained uh it's something that you can't help but follow and and you can't help want but wonder what what other alternatives uh, are coming our way this summer. Yeah, well, to put it in sports terms, uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw is our coach right now, and you got to listen to your coach sometimes. So I think yeah, that's... Yeah, and I'm, I've been following her, and I will say this, that of all the kind of leaders that we've had in North America, she's really kind of risen to the fore in my mind. Uh, she's a tremendous resource, and I'm glad she's here in our home province. I, I feel very lucky and you know, again, I, I've never met her, but boy, she uh, carries herself with a with a certain degree of professionalism, where you really feel like uh, you're getting it you're getting it from the best source possible. So that's that's a tremendous resource that Alberta has, and I hope people are are kind of heeding her advice. And and uh, you know, I, I like what she's brought to the table. I didn't know her before this whole thing uh, broke out, but I certainly have an appreciation for what she does on a daily basis now. Jack, uh, you know you've you've been to, you mentioned you've been to Wimbledon. I, I want to kind of take people there through uh, through your eyes, and I know we'll have some listeners who have who have made that trek. But for most people, that's uh, you know that's not a tournament they've been able to attend. I, I want to start with even outside the Wimbledon grounds. Can you tell us about the neighborhood Wimbledon is in? I mean, is a do you get a sense of the awe of the of the whole grounds just from being outside them, or or what's that like? Well, it is a neighborhood. It's it's very similar, actually, to walking over to Commonwealth. It's it's a massive. It, well, actually, it's it's not even close to the the complex that that Commonwealth is. It's it's just on you. I mean, you're you get off on a subway stop, and you know a ten minute walk, and you're basically walking from you know, flats all over the place and apartments here and there. And then boom, there's, there's Wimbledon. I mean, it's, it's right in the middle of a neighborhood and it, uh, you know, it's, it's quite an experience. The first time I went over, 
you know, I did it the old-fashioned way, and we were there at 6 in the morning, and we were number 5,000 <laughs> in the queue. Exactly. Exactly. My dad actually had 5,000. that He drew the, the number on the button, 5,000. And uh, so we, you know, waited six hours to get in. Uh, we got in and enjoyed a great day and evening of tennis, and, uh, you know, it, it got me hooked, and I went the next two years and and was lucky enough to have Grant kind of treat me to some some real great seats for some excellent matches right at center court. But as as far as where Wimbledon is located, it is, it is a neighborhood situation, uh, very similar to, you know, where you take <laughs> your parents on that short walk up to Commonwealth for Eskimos games. Uh, a lot of people are, are walking there, and uh, in my case, it was a you know short subway subway ride and, and a walk in, and you know it allows you to kind of you build that uh, you know you build the excitement as you're walking up the road, and and you know you're going to hit the championships, and it's just this, it's just a real unique complex in the sense that it is not very big, and it is uh, it's it's actually a place that. Uh, believe it or not, the first year I went, we actually lost Tyler for a second. He just snuck into an outside court and started watching a match, and my dad and I, of course, lost track of him for a painstaking 15 minutes before we were able to find him. But the fact that we were able to find him gives you some idea of how small it is. I mean, it's you, you could fit 15 Wimbledons inside the West Edmonton Mall. It is not a big place. It's all crammed together, and I think that adds to the charm of the place. Okay, so tell me about the, the ticketing then. Can, can you get... How do you get tickets in advance, or do you always kind of have to queue up like you and your dad and Tyler did? Well, tickets in advance is through a ballot, and it's it's really just a luck of the draw lottery system. I actually entered it this year, uh, you know, and I I didn't get tickets, so I was going to go ahead and queue. But uh, yeah, it is it is completely unless you want to, you know, there's some there's some ridiculously priced seats that you can buy in advance but by and large all you know all other tickets are available uh you know by way of lottery i mean sure you can go online and pay you know forty seven hundred dollars or something absurd but it's not like it's not like Ticketmaster. these are not readily available it's it's you, you you've got to buy like a champagne package it's a weird kind of deal but all other tickets are only available uh, through, you know, through the lottery system. And that's because, again, the grounds are not that big. You can't just, you know, sell tickets to, any, you know, to anybody. And so, you know, you, you queue up and, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's 15,000, 20,000 people. I mean, we were 5,000. We were there 6 in the morning. I mean, there were at least 10,000 people behind us by the, way, by the time we wound our way through the queue. It's quite the experience. I mean, it's a full day. You got to be patient. Uh, you know, people over there. I I find the biggest difference is Europeans are more used to queues than we are over here in North America. I mean, it's you know, and, they, and they've got things to keep you entertained while you're waiting there, and, and it it becomes an atmosphere in itself, a little bit like a tailgate type of situation that you see in North America. But yeah, it's it's a long day, and uh, you know, like I said, the next couple of years. 
luckily Grant was able to you know get me some advance tickets, so I didn't necessarily have to wake up at four in the morning. But uh, it's it's a day that I I think everyone would enjoy at once. I'm not sure you could do it on an annual basis, especially with a little kid and an old man uh, like my like my dad and my son at the time. But it was it was worth it. I had a, I had a great time, and it's you know it's one of those life once in a lifetime experiences, and I was fortunate enough to to go back the next couple of years as well. It's a phenomenal event. Okay. And, and it really, it's unique in in the grand landscape, and that's why I think it drew so much attention. It was canceled for the first time in, what, 75 years. Well, yeah, exactly. So once you're on the grounds, what options do you have in terms of which matches you can go to? Like, I assume it's not, oh, just go into whichever and I, and I know, obviously, some courts are stadiums and some are smaller side courts. Well, you, so have, you, have, uh, you have access to all courts with general admission tickets except for courts one, two, and center court. Okay. And then you have the option, if you want to just go straight to another queue, of waiting for people to turn in their tickets. And that's what people do when they leave early or whatever. In other words, if you go to a center court match and you're, you're there and you want to see if you have tickets for center court on a particular day, but you're only interested in seeing the first two matches and then you're out of there, uh, you don't feel like sticking around until six or seven o'clock at night. Those people turn in their tickets and then those become available for resale. And so you can buy tickets for center court courts one and two for an additional, I think it's 15 or 20 pounds. It's 20 pounds to get in. So all in all, these are not expensive tickets we're talking about. We're talking about a $35, $40 day. And then you have the option to go ahead and, like I said, buy, you know, stand in line again uh, and, and go for center court tickets. So what I typically do when I have general admission passes is I basically work the other courts. I mean, I saw a great Milos Ronic match on court three. You know, I, there's a lot of entertaining matches to watch in some of the other areas. Uh, and then later in the day, when things start to die down, that's when you, that's when I found, you know, my best luck in, in queuing up for courts one, two, or center. And uh, the last time I went, ended up, you know, staying until basically the sun went down and match had to be uh, halted in a match involving the big man, uh, the Argentine, who beat uh, Federer in 2009, Juan Martin Del Potro. He was playing a match at 9 o'clock at night that I queued up for tickets for. And that ended about a, you know, 14-hour day for us at the complex. But it's a, it's a great time. I mean, you, you got to know the system. you got to be willing to wait in the long lines uh and it's definitely something that the more times you go the little angles you figure out i gotta ask you this what are the food selections on the grounds uh, you know it's not so much the food for me it, it begins and ends with a pims cup a lot of people get to that <laughs> strawberries and cream but uh pims cup is is definitely a drink that i think it doesn't taste better anywhere else than Wimbledon. I know you could buy Pims at your local liquor store, and we, believe me, we've tried to replicate the feel of it, but it, they don't mix it better anywhere than the championships. Okay, uh, I got a text here from uh, who sent this in. Oh, the Big L. He says, Jack, I've been to Wimbledon. Very unique atmosphere there. Curious if you think Raonic or any of those young guns can win a title. 
I don't think Raonic can. Uh, I think I, I just think Raonic's body betrays him when it matters most deep into the second week of tournaments. I, he hasn't, for me, for the most part, proven he can stay healthy uh, and fit and rested and ready to go. I, I don't think he has enough game to get through the early rounds quick enough to be still physically feet, fit deep into the second week. Uh, I have hopes for Denis Shapovalov. I really do. I, I, I'm not sure he's going to get there. Uh, he's a little more erratic mentally. I think Roundage is, you know, more of a physical situation. I'll be curious to see whether Shapovalov can string together a, a full season of consistent results. What he's shown me thus far is he's he's been so hot and cold. I mean, the uh, the, the woman Bianca Andreescu is another matter altogether. I, I think she has. Uh, the intestinal fortitude, the game, the makeup. I, I've said this before on your show, Reed. I, I think we're looking eventually as, you know, I'd be surprised if when she's done, she's not somewhere in the top 15 all time. Yeah, I, you've you've said you've been on the record, but I, I think you, didn't you call 10 grand slams on my show at one point? For, yes. Yeah, yes. that'd be amazing. I mean, in other words, I... I expect her to land somewhere short of, like, Navratilova ever. You know, I don't think wow. she's going to get to Groff or Williams. I don't think she'll get to Navratilova ever, Billie Jean King. But I, 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 see, her, I see her winning multiple Grand Slams and, and being right below that. I, I, I honestly see her as a potential, you know, top 10, top 12 women's player of all time i really do i i am wildly impressed with her jack michaels joining us tonight on inside sports jack i want to switch gears just for the last couple minutes of the interview here uh western pennsylvania i had scott milanovich the new eskimos head coach on the show in the first half hour grew up in butler pennsylvania uh, Eskimos quarterback Trevor Harris is from Waldo, Ohio, but then went to uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh University. 20 minutes north of my hometown, yeah. Yeah, so tell me about and Somebody texted in here that uh, uh, that they went to high school, uh, saw a couple of high school football games in western Pennsylvania, and there were like 15,000 people there. Uh, tell me about the uh, the football culture back where you, you grew up. Well, I mean, you're talking about anywhere in Western PA, but I mean, you know, whether you're talking about a school like Aliquippa, which produced the likes of Iron Mike Ditka and Tony Dorsett, or whether you're going to go the Beaver Falls route and start getting into Joe Namath, uh, Joe Montana is a Western Pennsylvania product. Obviously, Dan Marino grew up in the shadow of the University of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, by the way, was some good news on the COVID-19 front. University of Pittsburgh looks like there's a bit of a breakthrough there. Uh, so, I mean, uh, look, Western Pennsylvania football, that's, that's obviously a situation where uh, I know Friday Night Lights and that whole series made it made it very popular in terms of the Texas scene, but in terms of the roots of, of football, it's it's really about Pennsylvania. I mean, Jim Thorpe from Carlisle, I mean, it, it goes back a long, long time. And, and, and again, part of it is, read the roots of our business. I mean, the first commercial radio station in North America, KDKA, 1921, I believe, in Pittsburgh. I mean, 
that's that's where you know they were they were covering those high school football games going back into the 30s and 40s so there's a lot of tradition not only in in western pennsylvania football but but in aspects of our business too uh and and you you think about i mean i'll put it to you this way reed not many people know this but branch ricky who brought jackie robinson to major league baseball the first african-american to play in the major leagues branch ricky was the football coach at allegheny college in my hometown meadville pennsylvania western pennsylvania i mean the roots of football in western pennsylvania go back as far as the game goes back and that's what it means for the communities yeah, that's. Uh, you didn't that's, know that about Branch Rookie. Did I, you? I, I did know that. You, you always uh, you always get some fun fact out there that that, that impresses me, which is which is cool. And then I I love when you when you talk about. Well, I mean, we all and I've been doing that with a few guys on the show this week. Kelly Kelly Rudy did our whole interview on him growing up in Elmwood. Jason Chimera was talking about playing minor hockey in Mill Woods last night. I mean, you always have those memories on those things that stick with you forever. So, I mean, like, did you when you were in high school? Uh, like, were you, what were you doing? Were you calling the games, the football games? Were you part no, of it? You know what? When I was in high school, I was starting to make the transition already into, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for something to do to stay in sports. I'm not going right. to be able to make it as an athlete. I, you know, I didn't have the opportunities to get on the radio until I, I went into college and, uh, and started calling games in Ithaca, upstate New York. But, you know, it's it was definitely a part of the fabric of the you know of the environment I grew up in. Is is Friday night? Uh, you made your way under the lights and and watched uh, Meadville High School uh, play. So it was absolutely you know part of the landscape that I grew up in. And you know what? It's funny. I always say that you know hockey was you know, really non-existent until Maryland you got there because it's such a football town. And no matter how much success the Pirates had at various points during my childhood, I mean, they had some great teams with Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla and Andy Van Slyke. Uh, but it's always been a football town and a hockey town second. And the reason is, I think, uh, when you when you look at football, I think Pittsburgh has has an appreciation for for some of the lunch pal attributes uh, of hockey players, and that's why I think the Penguins, when they do have a star player, uh, and there is some interest generated locally, they're always going to draw well because I, I think the folks that live there uh, appreciate the hard hitting and the brutish aspects of the sport, the way they gravitate toward football. Yeah, well said. Hey, Jack, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for transporting us to Wimbledon tonight. Very cool perspective. And keep in touch, buddy. Glad you and your family are doing well. And you should clarify to your audience, you've often said to me, it's not always a pleasure having me on. Maybe in this case, <laughs> yes, but not always. So fair, let's not exaggerate yeah, things. Fair, fair enough. That's a good. Thanks for the clarity on that, too, Jack. We'll see you soon, buddy. Cheers, pal. Uh, Jack Michaels on Inside Sports. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.